right, hello everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of AI at Work. Uh, I am Rob May, a general partner at PJC, and um, on this podcast, we cover a lot of the trends in artificial intelligence, uh, particularly some of the more practical trends of um, what people are actually using and, and working on. So um, my guest today is Trevor Blackwell from Y Combinator. Uh, Trevor, welcome to the podcast, and why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before you came to YC? Uh, before YC, um, I studied, uh, I did a PhD in computer science at Harvard, uh, mostly studied network stuff. That was the hot hot thing at the time in the mid-90s. Um, and then uh, uh, we, Paul Graham and I started this startup uh, that did e-commerce, uh, do-it-yourself do e-commerce tools so that merchants could build their own websites. Um, and that, that became reasonably popular. We had 20,000 merchants. Uh, we sold it to Yahoo. Um, and then we... Uh, and that was fun for about two years, and then it wasn't fun, <laughs> so we moved yeah. on. Um, and then uh, we started Y Combinator a few years later, um, trying to solve our own problem, the, the problem we'd had, which was that when we were two nerds trying to start a tech company in the mid '90s, um, uh, no one wanted to, no one wanted to invest in us. They they always sort of said, you know, where's where's your business guy, right? Uh, and, and we didn't have one, um, and. So we uh, we started a company to invest in people, people like that, um, and then it's grown to be in, you know investing in all kinds of people, um, you know, but but generally people early in their careers uh, that want to do something great. Yeah, it's very interesting. And how how was the reception when you started to um, find your first LPs? I mean, this was it was kind of a radical idea, even though you have built it in a short period of time to a very premier investment brand. Like, what was the initial response like? Uh, terrible. In, in, in Boston, uh, you know, we went and sh shopped this idea around to, to various investors. Um, yeah. And they kind of had, had the same reaction as when we were trying to raise money. Like, you're, you're going to invest in these guys with no business plan and no spreadsheets. Uh, so, but, but eventually, I mean, we, we, so, so we had to do it with our own money. Um, and we we put a pretty small amount of money, uh, you know, around ten thousand dollars each into into these companies, um, and uh, and some of them did very well, and then the investors couldn't ignore them. Yeah, interesting. And so, um, with respect to the YC journey, you know, you guys focused early on 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 sort of a lot of very technical ideas. Um, you know. AI has and robotics have sort of an, an, all the things that encompass what's called intelligent systems. Like they've been around for decades, mm -hmm. um, but how have you seen the flow change? Um, you know, in YC, like was there a time when you suddenly noticed, like, wow, we're seeing a lot more of this in YC companies, and and did that change match what you were seeing in the broader broader industry, or was was YC sort of ahead of the curve in getting some of those AI ideas funded? Well. In some ways, AI is the like it's it's not such a silver bullet that you can just say we're going to invent some AI and then the rest of the company is all going to take care of itself. Right. Um, you know, you, you you have to start with what it's doing, and often at the beginning, when the volume is small, you can you can just cheat and use people. Um, so a lot of companies started that way. You know, the, the long term plan is it's going to be fully automated, but when they've only got ten or a hundred customers. Um, they can just have some people in the background, um, and 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 that that's a good way to build a business because you can figure out what the what the service is supposed to do. 
you can collect the training data to train uh, the machine learning model. Um, and you can iterate quickly. You, you can iterate faster on, on what the experience should be when you've got people doing it, at least for now. Yeah, definitely. Um, and when was, was there, can you point to a point in time when companies in YC started saying more that they were ML companies or AI companies? Like, was that, was, was it a noticeable sort of like disjunctive kind of thing? Or was it just, you know, you saw one and the next, I think it was it was sort of gradual. I mean, we saw some going going way back to uh, you know maybe maybe two thousand seven two thousand eight. Um, and at the time, the the machine learning was kind of primitive uh, and often solving some very tactical problem like um, like how to how to serve ads, how to schedule things. Uh, Scheduling is a tractable domain for uh, machine learning. Often. Right. Interesting. And now you in particular have a deep interest in robotics um, and a strong background there. Uh, what was the first robotics company to come through YC? Oh, gosh. Uh, Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there was one that was making um, sort of a animated uh, conversational partner. It was a tabletop thing um, and it had maybe six motors or so and it was sort of like a like a hand puppet that would yeah. uh, talk to you and and th they struggled to find out just what problem it was trying to solve you know sometimes um, the, the thought was around um, reminding people to take their medication you know for, for seniors um, sometimes it was around education for kids uh, they, they never quite found the the, the perfect application um, and many of the applications didn't really need the robot part you know, right. it could have been just a, a voice assistant or a, or a video screen, and that would have been uh, would have gotten rid of the manufacturing challenge. Yeah, uh, very very true. Um, how do you when you look at how robotics, in particular, as a sort of subdomain of AI, has changed? Um, one of the theses that I am investing across is this idea that I have started to see companies whose uh, robotics companies that sort of look economically like software companies and they do mm -hmm. this because a lot of the parts robotic arms and a lot of the navigation or locomotion have been standardized to the point that like you can just buy those release those pretty cheaply and then you're really just a software company building that out um, you know do you have any strong theses or, or things that you've seen in the market around if that's true and if that's becoming the norm is it still as expensive to start a robotics company as it used to be or are there still lots of opportunities to do sort of full stack robotics, like the hardware and 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 the the limbs and everything? I think full stack is very very hard. Um, you know, like being a robotics hardware company can be a good business, and being a software company can be a good business. But trying to start both of those businesses within a startup at the same time is is I think uh, a, a fool's errand. Um, the the rhythms are so different. You know the schedules are different. You can iterate software every day, but hardware requires you know planning months out, um, and so it's it's just a completely different set of of, of different cul company culture, different set of skills. Um, so, you know, I I look forward to seeing both kinds of companies and and you know hoping they can find ways of working together so they they can share the profits. Yeah, and what do you think are some of the things that some of the pressing problems, applied problems that need to be solved in um, in robotics in the near term to really turn that into the, the industry that I think we all think in the back of our minds it'll be someday, but sort of hasn't hasn't become yet. 
You know, it's just very, very hard to write robot software that does anything useful. Um, you know, you, we've seen robots do a bunch of things. We've seen them walk and open doors. Uh, Boston Dynamics has a bunch of really impressive demo videos. Um, and, and each of those little skills the robot has is a result of months or, or years of a team of PhD control theorists trying to make it work and, and tweaking all the, the feedback parameters. Um, so it's, and it's, it's very low productivity. And so when you see a robot do something, you know, I mean, we've seen lots of robots that do one thing or two things or three things, but never seen a robot that does a thousand things. Yeah. I and, wanted... and it would just take too long. And, and, and part of the answer, I think, is, is tools. Um, you know, video games used to be like that. Video games used to have one mechanic, you know. You put yeah. John Carmack on it for a year and he can make a thing where you can run through a maze and it's really fun. Um, yeah. And, but modern video games, you can put a new thing in every day. Something like Fortnite, they're rolling out new characters with new dances and new, new visuals every day. And that's because they have great tools. They start with motion capture and skinning and, you know, they have all these great tools to throw together a, a, an animated character. Yeah, and those things have to be built in pieces though, right? The pieces of the ecosystem sort of have to develop roughly in, in uh, parallel with each other. Yeah, right. I mean, right now the tools business would be a small business because there's there, there aren't that many there aren't that many uh, users of it. Yeah, have you seen a a trend being on the early early side of the of investing? Um, I'm interested how you think about this and if you've seen this trend where um, do you believe investors are investing ahead of the sort of maybe product market fit code compared to, to, to where they would have. So, so let me give you an example, right? It's like, um, as there are more and more seed investors and people are competing for these deals and the prices are driving up and people are moving to pre-seed and everything else, you could look around and say, um, okay, you, you see the rise of drones. Someday it will make sense to have a like swarm drone operating system kind mm -hmm. of company or whatever, like, but we don't know exactly when that time is going to be. Like, do you, how far ahead of the curve do you think about investing in something like that? Or do you have any lessons learned from, from YC for that? Um, I'm willing to invest pretty far ahead of the curve um, because it so often happens that um, when, it, when it does happen, you know, when, when it suddenly does make sense, uh, the person that's in a position to win has been doing it for a while. Um, so often the strategy ends up being, you know, like have some target, and then start doing something, and usually the market's very small, and it's often some peripheral sort of odd use case that you can find a few customers for. But then you're in the business, and you you can collect some of the the people that are fascinated with this, um, you know, build, build up a good team. And then when the opportunity really does come, uh, you're ready to go. Now sometimes sometimes that doesn't work. Often often companies kind of burn out if they don't find uh, the the, the the big prize within a few years. Yeah, well, is that where the idea came from that you guys are sort of known for of like, basically just don't die? Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> die is a really good plan for, um, and, and I mean, one of the sure ways to die is to think you have product market fit when you don't and start, you know, ramping up, uh, ramping up your costs, uh, you know, before the market's ready. Uh, so, you know, you, when you do have product market fit, you have to you have to go full speed, uh, and before you before that, you have to you have to go slow, uh, and it's really hard to know 
you know, that's many, many companies die by making that decision wrong. And it's not that they're, you know, doing a bad job. Uh, it's just really hard to know. Yeah, it's the, the, the when I coach, so, so I've made 74 angel investments now, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and, then, and then two uh, as a full-time venture capitalist. And um, I, I typically try to give, I never try to give founders direct advice or instruction. I try to give them frameworks to think about things. Oh, you haven't been in the situation. Here's how I would think about it. The one thing I don't have a good framework for is this idea, you know, sometimes people say, I don't know if we're too early or if this is never going to get there. Like, should I, you know, you're a smart person, you're, there's a, you're talented, there's a lot of things you could do. Um, you don't know if you should walk away, shut this down and focus on something different, or if you're nine months away from the market breaking in your favor. And so I always tell founders, like, this is the one thing I do not have a good framework for helping you think through. Um, do you have any ideas or tips there for figuring that out? Uh, not really. You know, I've, I've been in the same situation. I had a telepresence robot company and, and I thought... I thought that could be a huge business, um, and uh, you know it just wasn't taking off. Uh, I eventually shut it down, you know, and uh, but I for like years after I thought, oh no, one of my competitors, you know, I shut. I, I was worried that I'd shut down mm -hmm. too early, and one of the competitors was going to get huge. Um, that hasn't happened yet, so yeah. you know maybe maybe we were a lot too early. Maybe it's never going to be a good idea. Yeah, you, you know, all well, you can do is wait for history to judge you. Yeah, I mean, it seems like some of the things. So I'll give you an example because I traveled a lot. I bought a Beam telepresence mm -hmm. robot so that you know when I'm in San Francisco or, or you know London or New York or whatever, I can log in and I could drive around and watch my kids do their homework or whatever. Um, and as time passed and there were Alexas in every room in the house, and you know my daughter got a uh, iPod that she could video chat on everything else. Like there was a lot less need for the telepresence robot. Like I still see use cases for it, but I think you know a decade ago I would have said, "Wow, the market is so big," and now I would say the market need is much smaller because mm -hmm. of other different you know sort of economic substitutes. Maybe yeah, I think they will find a need, um, but in 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 niches, you know, in in. Um managing remote industrial sites, for example, uh, but, but probably not for, for home. It's, it's better just to use FaceTime on, on your phone. Yeah. What are, the, what are some of the lessons that you think AI companies in the last few years that have been through YC um, have learned about like both pitching customers and pitching investors, right? I think we went through a phase, maybe 2017, where it was like every company was an AI company because yeah. that's how you had to pitch. I think now it's more about pitching what you do and if AI is part of the solution, maybe, maybe mentioning that, but like, what are, what are some of the, the lessons that, that you've seen companies learn there? You know, in, in most companies, even that, that could be described as AI companies, uh, the AI is usually a pretty small part of the whole project. You know, uh, there, there's some, you know, bit of clever machine learning in the middle, but you know, there's all these interfaces and, and things around it. Um, and so, uh, you know, we look for, for founders that are good at doing the whole thing um, and, and that aren't going to say, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do the web interface. That's, that's old technology. Um, right. You know, it, it all, it all has to be done. Um, and, and often the AI part can kind of wait, you know, you can, you can fake it with people for a while. Um, 
and and it's more important to iterate on the interfaces and uh, and you know the, the APIs you know however it connects to the real world. Yeah, yeah, very true. Which ties into another one of my investing theses is you know we saw this software as services model, and I think now you're seeing AI create this services as software model, right? Where you're keeping sometimes a human interface or a human-like interface, but you're stripping out many of the workflows behind that with either robotics if it's a physical workflow mm -hmm. or algorithms if it's a you know uh, digital workflow and so I you know probably one of my prototype investments here is a company called botkeeper and they're you know bookkeeping and so they um, you know I send off invoices to you know email address at botkeeper.com mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's a person or a bot responding um, they have you know dozens of accountants uh, remote who, do all this work, they record what they do, and as they get better and better and more data and record more activities, they ought start to automate those things away. And so they're half the price of a traditional bookkeeper and like 10% more accurate, like 89% versus 99%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a bookkeeper can only see so much. So if you're, you know, if you're the bookkeeper for a, a law firm and they constantly order supplies from Amazon and then you see an AWS bill come in, a lot of times a bookkeeper would classify, oh, that's from Amazon, mm -hmm. that's office supplies. And you're like, no, that's infrastructure hosting or, or whatever. And um, Botkeeper doesn't make those mistakes because it sees thousands of companies, general ledgers, right? So it's kind of kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, so, so have, uh, ha have definitely seen a lot of that. Um, what are the current trends you're seeing in terms of what people are working on uh, in AI and the companies that are applying for YC? Um, gosh, there's so many. Um, the, I, I think um, a lot of them are companies where, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, people thought, hey, it would be great to automate this with software. Um, and then it turns out it just wasn't possible. Um, uh, so any kind of image analysis, um, you know, there, there's a lot of old ideas around, you know, what, what you could do if you could analyze an image and tell what was in it. Um, people tried those to build those companies, you know, when they were just writing C code to look at pixels and they could never yeah. figure out how to, how to determine what was there. Um, uh, I think, um, I think translation is really powerful. Um, you know, translation can be pretty good. Um, but but there's so many interesting niche use cases for it, you know, translating from legal jargon to something people can understand, um, you know, tr just translating, not not even between different languages, but just different styles, you know, translate from the way people people write these sort of formal yeah. business plans into something like easy and 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 fun to read. Translate the vernacular from yeah. Alabama to Boston, right? That like, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, interesting. Um, all right, so, so let's talk a little bit about some some of the investment theses that I have around AI, um, and you can tell me if you like them or okay. if, if they're bad theses. Um, but um, one of the things that, that maybe you'll appreciate and you'll have seen, um, you know, as a, as a as a hardware guy too, is I have a very strong thesis around AI hardware, and the thesis is that um, I predict that it is going to lead to very big changes although it may be hard to predict which changes, right? And the, But the reason I think that's going to happen is we've had sort of 60, 70 years, the history of computing. We've had this von Neumann architecture. There's lots of ways to compute. We've mostly done it one way with the exception of very vertically targeted applications. And, um, and now we had this moment where GPUs were designed to run 
video screens and somebody realized, wow, the way that thing works, I could hack it to, to train a neural net, right? Well, now you have all these new chips coming out to drive AI workloads, spiking neuron chips, neuromorphic chips, you know, um, uh, analog circuitry, uh, things like that. I believe that as people start to program on these, they're going to have those same moments of like, wow, this chip was designed to manage this AI workload. You know what else I could do with it that I never would have thought of if I was programming on a von Neumann bottleneck. So, so I've mm-hmm. made a couple of investments in this space. I'm curious as to your overall views on AI hardware going forward. I think there's uh, there's huge potential and there are going to be a lot of different winners because there are so many ways of doing it. I think the, the, the neuromorphic, the sort of analog neuromorphic chips are interesting. I think... Uh, Cerebrus is interesting. They're building a wafer scale supercomputer that yeah. does, I don't know how many teraflops, but uh, more than I can count. Um, and, uh, and, and, and many edge devices, you know, uh, you know, the, the new, uh, Apple AirPod pros have like six DSPs in each, uh, earbud. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing, amazing. How, yeah. how, how many, uh, floating point multipliers you can, you can cram in. Uh, and so all that stuff, uh, I mean, it was this sort of weird world where uh, one architecture won so much, and, and Intel basically won so much of the commodity computing market. Um, and I, th- I think that's no longer going to be true in the, in the um, sort of AI accelerator market. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense, right? And particularly because chips break down over these, their use cases outside of just pure performance are so different, right? Because sometimes you have like this, your footprint matters, how big is the right. chip, how much space does it take up? Sometimes your price matters, sometimes it doesn't, it depends on the application. Sometimes your power consumption matters, yeah. your heat matters, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Um, all right, another thesis that I'm very strongly leaning into, uh, synthetic data. Yeah. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think about it and like what are the main, like do you see use cases as a roboticist? For a lot of that, absolutely. Uh, I think all ro- robotics, uh, machine learning, has got to involve synthetic data and, and simulated environments. Um, almost all the machine, certainly any kind of re- reinforcement learning, uh, just takes way too many trials, way too many mistakes to to run reasonably on on real hardware. Um, so OpenAI has some good work in um, in training and simulation. You know, you can build a realistic yeah. enough simulator. Um, and uh, do a bunch of things to make it not overfit to the simulator. They, they play tricks with uh, having kind of randomized, noisy textures instead of solid textures, and, you know, a bunch of tricks like that, where you can train, you can, you can have a, a robot manipulate a Rubik's Cube, you know, trillions of times. Uh, long, you would wear out, you know, yeah. thousands of pieces of hardware if you tried to do that in real life. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and I think there's good work doing that in uh, self-driving cars. Um, you know, you need to you need to simulate trillions of miles. You know, even though you can only drive uh, billions of miles. Yeah, very interesting. And you mentioned reinforcement learning. That's the one trend from an applied perspective I have not invested in yet because it's it's very like clearly it is super powerful and there's going to come a time for it. Um, but like you said, it's really really hard to find the right application that has the right economics to build a company around at this yeah. point. I'm not sure any of the things we've seen yet are, are were the best way of doing it. Um, I mean, what you need at the end of the day is the behavior. You know, you need right. a, a robot or a, or a piece of software that does something. Um, and so 
you know, you can either try and program that directly, or you can try and program a reward function um, and, and learn the, the behavior that maximizes it. And it's not always easier to program the reward function. Um, sometimes there's one built in, like if you're playing uh, video games, there's, there's a, a score built in. Um, but uh, if you're trying to learn to interact with people, the reward function is very subtle. And if you program something simple, uh, it'll usually end up finding some not very interesting way of exploiting it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, so, so let's stick on that and talk about my third, one of my third theses, um, because it's kind of related to reinforcement learning, but, um, non-neural network AI, uh, I think is going to make a comeback. And my thesis here is that, uh, the explosion of interest in neural networks and the, the call sort of a revitalization of investment and attention to AI um, also drove a revitalization in sort of symbolic logic, you know, probabilistic mm -hmm. programming, genetic algorithms, um, and and neural networks have a lot of problems, right? You need a lot of data. Uh, they're difficult, you know, they have explainability problems. And so if you have small data use cases or data use cases where you need the explainability, some of these other uh, things, you know, could, could be better. Um, so uh, I haven't made an investment there yet, but I'm looking, always looking at companies. And I've started to see some companies that have AI uh, things that are not just like basic statistics, but like other types of AI that are non-neural network. And I'm curious um, how you see that market and what you think about that as an investment opportunity. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, Many problems inherently require some kind of planning, um, and so some kind of search algorithm is is going to be better than uh, a straight neural network, which which can't really look ahead. Um, you know, we saw that with uh, AlphaGo, AlphaZero, um, that the way to win at Go and chess, and in fact most uh, you know turn-based strategy games is. Um, fundamentally a search algorithm, but with a, a small neural network guiding it toward plausible uh, choices to explore. Um, and so I, I think a lot of uh, agents that have to act strategically, you know, with, with some foresight are going to be, are going to look more like that, you know, where, where there's some kind of tree search rather than um, a straight neural network. Interesting. Um, and then let's end on a on a couple of questions um, that maybe are a little more philosophical. So, so you're in the robotics industry, and one of the debates that uh, happens in AI sometimes about uh, artificial general intelligence is you have sort of the Gary Marcuses and the more cognitive neuroscientists kind of approach, you know, uh, people who approach it that way, um, who believe that like neural networks and and modern sort of just digital based AI is only going to get us so far. Um, you know, I have a friend in Boston. Uh, for example, who believes that real intelligence in machines is going to come out of robotics because you have these sort of multimodal representations because the robots have sensors and they have to interact in the world with, you know, physical, physical things versus, say, being purely a digital machine connected to the Internet. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Where do you lean? You know, I'm, I'm, it's an interesting theory, but I'm not convinced. Uh, you know, I mean, just thinking about my own life, uh, you know, you could cut out all the part where I'm not sitting in front of a computer um, and I could I could do a bunch of useful things in front of the computer. Uh, and and the, the things I do in the evening aren't interesting to an AI. Like, why do they need to 
go for walks in the forest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think like y- you can take over a lot of the world. You can take over the business world, um, without bodies. Um, you know, it can all be done, you know, with an internet connection. Yeah, very true. Um, and, and sort of lastly, let's wrap up with like, what is your advice to the, everything that you've learned at YC, watching, you know, hundreds or maybe thousands now of companies, you know, come through, um, what's your, your key pieces of advice to, you know, people starting companies, whether they're AI companies or not? I mean, some of these have been reiterated, but I'm interested at this point in your career, if they've changed or you have anything new that you would say founders really need to listen to, you know, these one or two or three things. Well, focus on the user experience. Um, one of one of the big ways AI companies go wrong is to sort of say, well, it's it's gonna it's gonna do everything. You know, it's gonna interact with people and it's gonna just like figure out what to do and it's gonna go get a job and make money and do all these things. Um, yeah. But uh, and and maybe it will someday. But you still want to start with like when I turn this on, what's the first thing it's gonna say, and then what's someone gonna say back to it? Um, yeah. You know, it it needs to you need to start with the kind of user story. Like in, in, in 2001, A Space Odyssey, right? There's a scene where they turn on the HAL 9000 and it says, hello, I am the HAL 9000. Would you like me to sing you a song? And then it sings like Daisy, Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's uh, that's, that's not a good user experience. Right. You know, I can tell Siri to listen to whatever and, you know, not some 1890s novelty song in a, in a robo voice. Uh, so, you know like figure out what the user experience is and, and iterate on it, um, iterate on it, uh, just using people, you know, by, by sort of play acting, what, what ought, what ought to be the interaction and, and how's that going to make people happy before you start, uh, choosing, choosing the technology. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, all right, Trevor, thank you for being on the podcast today. Uh, for those of you who listen, thank you for listening. If you have, um, guests you'd like us to have on the program or questions that you would like us to ask future guests, please send those to AI at work at pjc.vc. And thanks again for listening.